0: Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Would you stand please with me for the reading of God's Word? Reading out of uh, 2 Corinthians. Remember this: a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly, or in response to pressure, I would add, ever. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. and God will generously provide all you need. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take our gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem we be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Father, I pray that you would anoint your word, open our hearts and our minds to receive. Let this be a day where literally aspects of our lives change, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before we begin, two things. One is this is the third in a series uh, entitled "Really Important Stuff." The first one uh, dealt with power. The second one dealt with vision last week. This one is listed as treasure, but as I've dove into this deeper, I'm going to ask you to scratch that out if you have a note on this, and to put it as "Really Important Stuff." Generosity is what we're going to talk about now. Before we even do that, there were some things that transpired last week in the service that um, increasingly I'm feeling God is directing something on, and so. Next Sunday, I want to speak to directly, I mean, it'll be for the congregation as a whole, so I'm still come, but I want to speak directly to junior high, senior high, and 20-somethings. So I want to speak to the youth of our church. Uh, there's some things that just have connected some dots last week, so next week, make know that. I know a lot of you are not always an axiom, um, and if you have a young person, so that's just something to mark and go down to, all right? Dealing today. Generosity. Last week, after the second service, we had what is our annual business meeting or members meeting. That's where we report on how finances were spent and how they were spent in the last year. And then we um, present this year's budget and have approval and answer questions and it's all part of being accountable in that process. Um, there's a variety of things that are listed when we do that. Uh, some things that aren't mentioned but are part of what we do here the children's ministry, youth ministry. Uh, A significant portion, when you factor in staffing and other things, are poured into those two areas. Uh, I think it's something like 75 or 80% of people who commit to Christ do so uh, as young people. And so that ministry, those ministries are extremely important. Detroit Bible Institute is something that is an academic setting for studying the Word uh, that we partner with other churches that are are on our location here. Um, We have our men's ministry, women's ministry, The Garage and Oasis, uh, there's assistance for widows and those that are troubled, for those who are struggling with uh, um, a variety of things, from financial issues to addictions, etc. cetera. Uh, Gentle care ministries that ministers in the hospitals, as well as to others who have lost somebody uh, um, or is struggling with uh, an issue of health of some type or another. Uh, we've just resurrected an old ministry that died during COVID entitled Share Your Portion. It's kind of a a missions impossible group. There's a whole bunch of people on this list. And then when there's a need, we try to see who those could respond to provide meals for those who've lost a loved one or who are struggling with a long illness. And so that's been resurrected. Um, We have the pantry going on. There's so many other issues that are taking place that we can't list them all. And it's a time for us to report and to communicate what those things are. Yesterday, I walked into here. I was somewhere else over the week for an event. And I managed to come in here yesterday when a marriage conference that was put together by uh, Jeff and Kathy Brown that had this entire section down here was filled, and the energy in the room, and something that Jeff and and Kathy put together themselves, just a fantastic time of ministering to try and reinforce and strengthen marriages. There's feeding programs that we've done in Guatemala for probably decades now at this point in time. Uh, Construction teams and medical teams that we've had in Costa Rica and other construction teams going out in a couple of um, months' time or so, and then a medical team again in the fall. Uh, through throughout Central America, the Osborne uh, School, in, in what had been the most violent zip code in the entire country, but due to the work that this church has done and others in partnership, but that has changed now. And we actually established the robotics program, giving the young people with our engineers involved an opportunity to break out of some of the patterns that exist there and have an opportunity to technology. These are just a snapshot of just some of the few of the things that we've seen. And, and all these things that you just heard about, they just happen um, out of thin air. There's no planning, there's no training, leadership, money, structure, no building, they just happen. Some of you are educated enough to know that that's not the case. There are resources. And what we just said earlier in offering is something that we really mean. If you don't have a relationship yet with God, you're forming that, then finances should be the least of the issue as far as your giving aspect and the principles behind that. Your first thing is to understand who God is and who you are in relationship to him. And if you have a home church elsewhere, then that's your priority in giving. And we've prioritize that. This passage of scripture is a driving passage of scripture for us. It, it sits here and says, look at um, you're to decide yourself how to give. It says, don't give reluctantly, don't give under pressure. There is one time in the 40 plus years that I've been a part of this church where there was any any appeal made in 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 an emergency scenario. We had done the new construction in 2005. It was 2008, the economy crashed. So three years later, great timing. We're having pressures on that. We're coming up to the year end, and it looked like we wouldn't make budget, and we were at a very, very low figure. And so I spoke to the congregation, I think it was in the first week of December or so, and just said, look, here's our situation. Here's what it is. If you give something to affect that, that would be very appreciated. We took two, maybe three minutes tops, laid it out very simply. In the following weeks, twice as much came in as we had need of for the scenario. And that's the only time. Why? I, I think part of it is because we have some very good leadership and some good people that have managed things well financially. But another significant reason why is because there are people in this congregation who have been faithful in giving over the decades that have given us the freedom to not have the emergency of the, of the week, um, to not put pressure in some fashion of that. Individuals who have quietly, faithfully, solidly given. They say in war that it's not so much how many troops you have and the weapon systems you have, but it's it's logistics, the generals will tell you, is what wins wars. In other words, the supply of fuel and ammunition and clothing and all the items that the the people need in order to fight. You can have the best weapon systems in the world, but if you don't have the shells to fire it, if you don't have the ammunition inside it, then it's useless. And the giving that those individuals in this congregation have faithfully done over the decades has been the ammunition, has been the fuel to enable and allow all of those things to take place. So when we say... Really, if you're exploring things, we say, if you're at home church, we mean those things. We root in the scripture that says there's not to be a response to pressure, that we're to give cheerfully. It goes on to say that God's going to provide all that we need. It says that He's the one that provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. He'll provide increase to your resources and a great harvest, this translation says, of generosity. This passage, incidentally, is deeply misused in a doctrine that is completely wrong called the prosperity doctrine. They'll draw this same passage out and say, yeah, you're like a farmer, you use seeds. So if you give $1,000 to this ministry or me personally, you'll get $10,000 back somehow. God will provide for that. He wants to have all this, this it's like return and investment and sowing and all that stuff. That is not what this passage because God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to succeed and be a winner to get your best life now. You know what? You were never intended to have your best life now. Our best life is yet to come. And we need to keep focused on that. And so these lies are poured out and, 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 and naive people give money away that they they it's not that we shouldn't give to the work of God. But if this was true and applied properly, then what does that say about Jesus who died with nothing? What does it say about the apostles, all who died with nothing? The early church who struggle, our, our sisters and, and brothers over in, in China or other places that struggle or in Africa. This is a very American doctrine. And I could really go off on this a long time, but that is not the conversation today. <laughs> so I'm pulling it back, all right? But this passage is misused that way. I like this translation because it says, It'll increase your resources, then produce a great harvest of generosity. In other words, yes, we receive something back in giving. But it's not necessarily that I I give 10,000 to the church and I get 100,000 through various other means. It means that my heart is open broader, that there's something changed in my own spirit and attitude. It means that I see other individuals being blessed, and that's part of the blessing I receive. This passage goes on and says there's two things that happen when we do this. Two things, it says in verse 12, will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem, be met. so number one, needs of individuals will be met. And joyfully, they'll give their thanks to God. So one, when we give, needs are met. But the other thing is that glory goes to God. People's attention are drawn to God. Finances and all that's involved with this shape and define us in very, very specific fashions. And before I go too far down the line on this, I should probably reference the fact, in case you're sitting down right now over the lack of spiritualness of this, the crassness of discussing money and possessions. Let's throw this one, guys. Money and possessions in the Bible is mentioned over 2,350 verses reference that in the scripture. Jesus has a lot to say about money. 15% of everything Jesus spoke was related to money and possessions. 16 out of 38 of his parables dealt with the topic of money. The only subject that Jesus taught more about than money was the kingdom of God. 2350 verses. That's twice as many verses as there are about faith and prayer combined. Why the emphasis? Because the scriptures are very clear about an inherent built-in connection between a person's spiritual life, attitudes, and actions concerning money and possessions. You're told that God owns everything. That you or I may have bought a house or a car, but he's the one that gave us the money, so it's his. And that we're to give, it says in this way, and generously. And there's five levels of giving I'll touch on briefly here and see where you fall on this. One is nominally. We drop in $5 every year, just like clockwork. The other one is occasionally, that, that somehow we give an amount, but it's just occasionally, is it? whenever we feel the point on it. The third one is really the, the standard more. It's faithfully, that there's an amount... Every regular time that I designate, and the scriptural one is 10% of what I have. But if you're in serious debt, you're broken down on, on things because you've mismanaged money, then I would say just give a portion, give something to mark that you're honoring God and that this is a placeholder as, that as, as you get your debt under control that you're going to address. And if you struggle in the area of debt, there's something else that's in your bulletin. I, don't think I brought it up here with me. It's in your bulletin. It's called the Financial Peace University. And there's a limited amount of spaces for this as we first launch it in a month or two's time. But it can process to get you out of debt, how to handle your finances, how to manage a budget. It's something that's being provided and that you should take hold of. And so that's coming up soon too. The step beyond faithful is generously. The step beyond generous that we're not gonna talk too much about today and you're gonna be happy we're not because the next step is sacrificially. (laughs) When we did the building expansion, our entire leadership team, because these are principles that our leadership team operates on, our trustees, our elders, our staff. And so we gathered together and we we gathered and said, what amount are we prepared to put together? And then we presented that to the congregation as a challenge for the rest of the congregation to come around. We had a three-year guideline on that. My wife and I, on reflection, took her salary, which was at EDS at that time that she was working for. Uh, She'd gone part-time at that moment, but it was still significant. And we said, for three years, we're gonna designate her salary for that time period. And that makes us sound like wonderful people. That's not why I'm saying it. There's others that gave even more. I say that to have you know that these are things that we practice. These are things that as leadership, we practice. Our staff, we don't put anyone in a position who has not practiced these things themselves. So there's a sacrificial point, but again, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about generous. I would just pause briefly and say, for those of you that have given generously over the years, and no one really pays attention to you or lifts you up, you have been the one that has supplied the fuel, the ammunition, the resources. When there's somebody who comes to us and they're distressed and being abused by a spouse and we give them lodging, when we repair a car, when we feed somebody, when we intervene with somebody who's having an addiction of any type, you are the one who has supplied that. You are the one who has made that happen. All these verses about money and what it means, why, what does it say about us? Well, here it is. I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. Not everyone in this room is, but I am. And I have the distinct honor and privilege of paying my taxes every year to the federal government. I do that because I'm an American, that's my allegiance, that's my home place and stuff. So I personally provide for the defense of this country. Okay, I personally provide for a variety of other things and so do you if you're a citizen of this country. I am also a citizen of the state of Michigan and I'm not like those who live south of the border in that begotten place called Ohio. And so I pay my taxes in the state of Michigan and I personally am repairing the darn roads. (laughs) I live in Clinton Township and so I am now providing for the education of other people. My children are no longer being educated in those schools, but I am still providing for the education of everybody else's kid. I provide for the police and the fire department. And when there's a fire that breaks out three streets down, nobody comes and asks me to come and put that out, which is good. But they do turn to the fire department that I encourage and facilitate. In the same way, and we do this because these are our allegiances. This is the community we live in. This is the provision we make for our fellow citizens. This is the identification that we have. And also, if you don't, they'll arrest you. But in the case of the kingdom, we're told to give freely, without compulsion, without threat. What motivates us to do that? There's need, but it's beyond need that motivates us. It's an understanding of what grace we've been provisioned and we've been given ourselves that changes how that is and how we operate and how we think. I read not too long ago about a stroke patient in Brazil. There was a journal, Neuroscience, and this guy was 49 years old, he had a A remarkable personality change after a stroke. Well, that's not unusual to have a personality change, but this guy's was unusual. He suddenly had an excessive, it says, and persistent urge to help others. He couldn't stop giving money and gifts to people he barely knew. According to his wife, and I'm not sure if he's still married or not, um, he would buy candy, soda, and food for kids he met on the street. He quit his job of a larger uh, corporation, and all he wanted to do was to give. He said he saw death up close, and he wanted to be in high spirits from that point on, and he would not stop his giving. It shouldn't take a stroke for a Christian to start giving. It should be an experience that we have with Christ that, yes, we recognize needs, but it's not need-driven. It's instead the grace that we've been given and that we've been provided. A lot of times, individuals don't come to our doorstep, and when they do, we should meet those needs. We should be thoughtful about it. I understand there was someone saying that we had told them they could solicit money in the parking lot, ironically enough, this morning. We would not do that. We would not approve that type of thing. We have a vetting system. We want to know who the person is. We want to know what's going on with the process. We're careful about that. But people do come to the church to look for those things. They don't come to you or me any more than they come to me or you when the house is on fire and they want the department to hit it. But then there are moments that, yes, it comes to us, so one, we give so that the church can enable those things and meet needs. But then there's opportunities for ourselves. I don't know if you ever had this. I occasionally stop at Tim Horton in the morning just to grab something, especially if that's the only meal I'm having for the day. And a muffin and a little egg and a little sausage, whatever the case is. And I go up to the window one time after a line of cars, and and I get up there and they give my thing. And then they said, "It's been paid for. The person in front of you paid your bill." I was so angry. I mean, I was so upset. They paid my bill. How dare they pay? No, I was like overwhelmed. I honestly, like, like I I was kind of in one of those moods where you're just processing the day. You're getting ready to get in. You know what you got to do, and so you're kind of. And then suddenly this happened. I'm like. There are actually kind human beings in this planet. It changed my whole attitude. I said, "You know what?" I said, well, "Next time I came by there. Next time I came by there, I thought it. I thought about it. days later came by, and because I'm so much better than that person, I paid for the next two people after me. Because <laughs> gosh darn I'm twice as good. No, I, I did. I, I, and you know what? It was fun. It was actually fun." I thought, man, this is going to be so fun to see these people and just whatever the surprise... And I, I just drove off, you know. But, but there's a joy in giving. There's a joy in being generous. Whether those moments that we have in our lives that God's given us an opportunity to or when we enable the needs of others through our giving into the church and through our tithes and offerings that not just meets those needs, but in every single one of those cases, just like the scripture says, it's turned towards God. Every single time that help is done we say, look, at this is God helping you. You need to realize this is God's intervention in your life. Every single time, it's not about attention to this church. It's not about attention to me or to you in what we do personally or what we do corporately. But if you've not yet processed all this, then there's something deeper perhaps. But before we go to that, My father liked baseball a lot. I I could never get into it, it was too slow for me. Football was my thing, volleyball, a few other things. And there's nothing like going to baseball game, and I recognize, even though I'm not a fan of the game, someone going to the game and having a little kid who goes to the game with their glove, and their big hope and dream is just that there'll be a foul ball. Just an opportunity to catch and, and have a souvenir that they'll treasure for life. There's nothing more sweet than seeing that. Check this out. Now, well, for her. Oh. Whoa, whoa, God. Wait, what was, that, what was that adult lady doing to that little gal? She took the ball. Juan Miranda tried to give it to the little gal, and she took it she from just her. She took it right from her. And that was oh, last that's, Friday. beyond wrong. Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> that was beyond wrong. Earlier I said in the first service that that woman was going to hell and someone was upset over that, I guess. So I won't say that. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I can't know for sure. But, uh, but, but look at that. I mean, we all react the same way. It's like, look at the selfishness of that woman. Look at that. Literally, she's taking the dreams of the little girl in her hands. I mean, it was just so obnoxious, so unconscious. Did you see? She's high-fiving. I saw one of the guys that she was going to turn, kind of turned away. He's like, "No, nah, something's off here. You didn't do it." You now the other one's kind of high-fiving, and she's just exuberant, and everyone around is saying, "What is with this lady?" That was a lady in Houston, Texas. A few weeks later, this. There's nothing better when you go to the ballpark to get in a souvenir. Oh, yeah. oh, look at that young Brewers fan! Now wait a minute, he is. Did he get? No. Oh Maybe boy, he is sour. He is sour. The Diamondback fan got it, and not the Brewer fan. Huh? huh? Oh, he's bummed. Are out. you kidding me? This kid's going to do this? Oh yeah, yeah. That is big time Oh my right goodness! There. What a nice young man. Well, he's got a Diamondback hat number. We have to get something for that kid we got, in the red. We got to do something for the kid in the red. Something for the kid in the red. <laughs> That's the opposite of that lady in Houston. I can't <laughs> believe I just witnessed that. That is that just, awesome. You yep. young man are you a young star. Man are awesome. <laughs> you see that? All right. Good. That was cool. good. Yeah, we got to get something. I, 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 I thought that was a test. They circle the kid. Uh, <laughs> you are a star. And then they go on later and say, you are going to get good things. We know where you are. We're going to find you and we're going to make sure you get good things. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my goodness, what a contrast. The adult, cluelessly taking one more thing that they really don't need and stripping it from somebody else. And this kid who realizes that there was something else going on. And here's the thing, it went too fast probably for you to track. But the player who tossed it up was a Brewer's player. And the kid who didn't get it had the Brewer's jersey. And so it was probably meant for the kid. It fell down, the usher got it, gave it to the kid that was the Diamondback fan. The kid walked back and he says this. He says, he, when he, what happened? He says, I just felt really bad for the kid because I think it might have been intended for him. Odds are it was but I just didn't see him. So I just thought it was the right thing to do to give it back. Then the the announcers, same announcers from the previous game, are you kidding me, this kid's gonna do this? This is big time right there. I can't believe I just witnessed this, this is awesome. You young man are a star. Now here's one side point before I forget. The kid, if you noticed closely, and I'm sure you missed it, had a baseball cap on and an Old English D on the baseball cap. That kid was a Tigers fan, so of course he was brought up properly, okay? (laughs) The point of bringing that out to you is I, I see that kid, and I think so oftentimes we're the first person, the lady in Houston. We have what we have, and we take even more, and we take it from others. This kid... Sees something that was intended for something, someone else. It came to him, but it was intended really for someone else. The question that hit me on this was several things. What do you and I hold that was intended for others? Oh, I, I earned that. I, every talent you have, every breath you have, every opportunity you were given came from God. And if you're not humble enough to admit that, that's a whole separate issue you need to deal with. He's given us... Things. And some of that was intended for others. And sometimes for people we don't see, which is why we release that freely before God without wanting any attention or credit for it. We give that over freely. And it caught me what, what do I hold that was intended for others? And the other thing that caught me was how those announcers got that kid and put the circle around him and attention all was, And I thought, man. God's watching us sometimes, and this isn't meant as a manipulative point, point. it really isn't. This was just my own feeling and thought on it. So oftentimes, you know, we have this selfishness, and that gets noticed, gets acknowledged, but that's not what I'm drawing attention to. I sit here and think, man, how God really smiles, and how he circles sometimes. Nobody else sees what you do. Nobody sees what you give in an offering. Nobody marks what you give to a person in Tim Hortons. But I think God sometimes circles and says, you are a star. And the idea that I would do something or give something that would delight the heart of God that I would be that little kid who still has the ideals. Because as we grow old, we get so focused on money and possessions. And I never saw a U-Haul behind a hearse. We can't take any of the things with us. And this gets to the real point of our conversation, and I'll give it to you pretty quickly. The real issue isn't over the money. It isn't over budgets, and all those things are incredibly important. The real issue is, is really at the core of it, your relationship of God and your understanding of grace. There was a French philosopher uh, and mathematician and physicist and theologian named Blaise Pascal. And Pascal was a Christian and he, he created a number of different concepts and thoughts, but one of those that's been passed on over the years has been referred to as Pascal's Wager. And the wager uses a logic form that goes like this. Pascal says this, God is or God is not. Reason cannot decide between the two alternatives, point one. Point two, a game is being played where heads or tails will turn up, and the game is our whole lives, where heads or tails will turn up. Point three, you must wager. It's not an option. You have to place a wager or a bet. Point four, let us weigh the gain and loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate those two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. His final point then, wager then without any hesitation that he is. If you wager, if you find yourself believing in God and committing your life to that, then the worst that can happen is that you're wrong. But if you wager the other way and you're wrong, the implications and loss are staggering. When we look at scriptures like we looked at today, when we look at um, something like Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, that says, don't worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what you're going to wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. When We look at those things. If you've engaged with Christ and there are two groupings of us here, those of us who've chosen and placed the wager that God is, we put our faith in Christ and his work on the cross, we repent of our sins and we lay our life down before him. And Romans says as a living sacrifice, we offer up our entire life so everything we have is his. And then there's those of us who have not yet made that commitment. For those of us that have, one of the questions from last week rises up again. The thing you have to ask yourself is, has it touched the whole of your life? Is it simply lip service? Has it touched the whole of your life and how you view life and finances and all that's part of that? It's like the pastor says in the old story from way back, you know, we have a new building project. And he says, the good news is we have all the money we need for the new project. The bad news is it's still in your wallets. It's <laughs> so another guy who, who was, and this is a true story, he was a well-established uh, um, jurist in the 1800s or so like that. And, and he comes to faith in Christ. And um, as he comes to faith and starts to step up more and more, suddenly he, he's, he's, he's giving significant amount of sums to the church and the pastor and him have a conversation and, and he's stunned because there hadn't been a conversation about giving or finances. And he says, you're, you're, something's really transforming. He says, yeah, when I got saved, the guy said, he says, my wallet got saved too. Has it touched the entire part of your life? Our giving is intended for others. Not to give us a blessing, but to be a part of reaping a harvest of generosity that's received. This morning's message, none of it's going to make sense if the gospel has not penetrated first. None of it's going to really connect with you in any way, shape, or form until you've made that wager and that commitment. And that's why we say, with all sincerity, if you're still exploring the things of Christ, then don't get involved in this. It has no meaning behind it for you. But how long does that stretch out? At what point do you cross the line of faith and you recognize your sin and a holy God as we sang about earlier and your need of grace and salvation? At what point in time do you put your chip down and decide where you're gonna stand? Jesus sends out the 72 to do ministry at one point in time. They're on their own. Two by two, they're gonna go out. They're going to tell people about the kingdom of God and they're going to minister to people. And he, he mentions this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 88. He says, freely you guys have received, now freely give to others. In other words, freely you've received grace and forgiveness and all the resources you have. Now freely give. In the message version, it says this, you have been treated generously. So now live Generously. And then finally, this morning, there's a passage that I would read to you of what the transformational transformational thing happened in Acts chapter 4. He says, now there's a whole number that believed, and they were of one heart and soul. Acts 4, 32 through 35. And no one said that any of the things they belonged to was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And this line, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid at the apostles' feet, and as distributed each as they had need. This was an iron compulsion, no manipulation. They were so overwhelmed by the grace that they had been given, so caught up with God's phenomenal generosity to them, that it changed how they interacted with one another. and much grace was with them all. Just one more thing. Every year we go to see um, uh, Christmas Carol out at Meadowbrook. I mean, we go every year. <laughs> and it's become a tradition. The actor who plays Scrooge is, is a great actor. There's one part that um, always catches me. Two parts, really. There's one part where, where after Ebenezer's had his experience of grace, um, he's acting a certain way. Someone says, it's almost like a dream. and He says, oh, no, no, not a dream, because like he's had the dreams already with the three spirits. But there's one point where he shouts from the window after he's had his experience of grace and his heart has been changed and transformed. And he says this, laughing and crying in the same breath. He says, I am as light as a feather. I am as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A merry Christmas to everyone. And you can see that his heart's been radically transformed and he buys this massive turkey for old Cratchit and he's gonna make sure that Tiny Tim's taken care of and, and, and he gives generously and freely and it's shocking everyone around you. Charles Duckins does not use the word grace. But he receives a wonderful gift that he didn't deserve, Scrooge. The point of the story is not that this rich old miser gave so much, but it's that they received so much. Much grace was with him. And now in the real world, only God can work a mag- miracle of that magnitude. When God breaks the stranglehold that money has on us, when, when we, it all gives way to an extravagant sharing, when, when we open up our hearts and our minds and our wallets to others, whether it's in line at a Tim Hortons, or whether it's giving on a Sunday morning so that someone can be fed in a country we're not even part of, or someone finding refuge. Maybe even in this gathering here who's sitting next to you they did not even know they're struggling with. There's a giddiness, a joy that comes with the privilege, and that is a miracle of grace. And much grace was with them all. What do you value most? What is it that more than anything in the world you'd have? Whose approval would you want more than any in the world? What is it that you seek and value most? And what are you holding on to? What did you intercept that was meant for others that they won't receive unless we give? None of this makes any sense at all to any of us unless we've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. But if we've experienced that, if we know that we stand only by God's grace and that all these things have been given to us before that, then what excuse do we have after that point? Freely He's given to us, generously, so that we in turn can generously give. But it begins with recognizing before any offerings, before anything else of what we need to value most and that our own life was intended, as Romans says, to be an offering before anything else. So, a moment. Lord, this morning, as we seal this moment of time off, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir and walk this, that there'd be something in these moment of time, especially for those who've never made a commitment to you, that would be drawn to you in this moment. And that for those of us that have, Lord, that we be challenged on our priorities and on our own spirit of generosity. If you were paying close attention today, then you realize that today really wasn't about money, money at the end of the day. It's more about our heart and our relationship with Christ. I can't keep that little kid ever since I've seen that video, out of my mind. The innocence with which he immediately recognized and then acted on it against his own interests. But then the way those announcers were just so shocked. And I get that image sometime now, it's stuck in my own head right now myself. to challenge even where I've been at in generosity. And I got to tell you, I don't want to be a woman from Houston. <laughs> I, I, I want to be that little kid who just so quickly, instantly responds that God's up there. Maybe I never hear it. Maybe I never see it. But that he's sitting here saying, you know, you, you kid, you're a star. You, that was cool. You've been faithful. Now, the question is, does that change anything for you? And so if you will allow me to mix my metaphors today. The ball's in your court. Father, I pray that your grace does change us. Not just in how we handle our finances and and how we're integral and how we we deal with those we're indebted to and are generous in in ways and we give to your cause and purpose and we acknowledge you, but but that, Lord, in other ways, how we live our life out. Especially in this year of 2024 with everything that's going on, let us be a church, Lord, that really seeks to draw close to you, that is excited by having your gaze upon us and not chilled or frightened, but excited by it. Guide us in these things, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.